Starcourt Study Hall contains spoilers for all seasons of Stranger Things. Episodes may also contain graphic content and language not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views and opinions expressed are those of the hosts unless otherwise stated, and all content and characters are property of Netflix and the Duffer Brothers. I'm Marina. And I'm Amanda. And this is Starcourt Study Hall. We are going to start off this episode of Starcourt Study Hall. Well, first of all, I just want to say we are back to talking about the chapters. It has been two weeks. And it has. I forgot what was happening in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, a little bit. I was like, what are we doing? What's happening? So we're, we're back on, the, we're back on that, that chapter nonsense. But we want to start off this episode with a couple of announcements, which I don't think we've really done this yet, have we? No. No, I don't think so. First announcements... So as you all know, yesterday we launched our Discord server. So we're pretty excited about that little addition to our pod. We kind of hope that it can be a place where we can all just go and talk and reflect and discuss and hopefully not yell at each other. But yeah, we hope you all join us. It's free. You can just kind of make an account if you don't already have one. It's really easy and join the discord server the link is in our bio yes we just linked in bioed you <laughs> we did wow look at us go <laughs> yeah so the link for our discord channel is in our bio and we just really hope that you all participate and if you don't that's totally fine but just know that it's there if you want to yeah anything else on the discord front did we want to say the thing about the the thing about the thing my next thing oh you're oh i didn't know if that was your next thing okay <laughs> so amanda's leading me into my next thing so our second <laughs> announcement is that Amanda and I have decided that we are going to do a Battle of Starcourt watch party through our Discord channel. So if you needed incentive to join <laughs> the Discord channel, or server rather, this is your incentive. The plan is to do this on Friday, September 1st at 7 p.m. Eastern. So you got to be in there. You gotta mark your calendars we're gonna send out more details on our instagram and on our discord closer to but that's the plan the plan is to do a watch party with everybody with for the battle of starcourt all 78 minutes of it woohoo so excited. can't wait to hang out with all of you for 78 minutes for 78 minutes <laughs> so yeah if, like i said if you needed incentive to join the server there you go and it's labor day weekend if you're outside of the united states i don't know if that means anything to you but for us it's labor day weekend a friday night or morning depending on where you are so you know just hope you come yeah yeah <laughs> we would love to see you on ldw as we say in new jersey oh my god <laughs> <laughs> we'll obviously talk more about that and give you all more details as we get closer but friday september 1st at 7 p.m eastern the mind flare is going to infiltrate hawkins mall and you should probably be there be there be there and i have one final announcement we put up on our Instagram story, I don't know, like a month ago, we just kind of like put our feelers out. We were like, would you all want merch? And mm -hmm. we have been working on some merch. We are like, if we're baking a cake, so all the ingredients are out, we've put them all in the bowl, they're getting mixed, they're all <laughs> together, they're in the pan, we just have to put them in the oven. So we are like 
80% ready to give you all merch. So we're going to try to get you all out some merch soon. I just wanted to put that on your radar, too. Wow. Big things coming from Star Court Study <laughs> so Hall today. Many, so many big <laughs> things. So, yeah, we just wanted to tell you. It's like that one meme. I don't know if you've ever seen it. That's like, I hate when bands post big things coming. It's always just like a song. That's what you did last time. <laughs> How unoriginal band. <laughs> Another a fourth announcement. Um, next oh. week on Wednesday, we are releasing an episode of Starcourt Study Hall. And the following Whoa. week, we are also releasing an episode of Starcourt Study Hall. Th- this is too much news. I think we're overwhelming them. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you want to get into it now? I do. Okay. Let's, All right. Let's get into it. Okay. So this chapter is chapter six, E Pluribus Unum. Do you want to take the summary this week? Sure. I would love to take the summary. Go for it. I'm really glad, though, that you introduced the episode because I still feel uncomfortable pronouncing that. So, E pluribus unum. (laughs) I feel like I can't say it right. (laughs) All right. So, you're going to have to say it. (laughs) Mm -mm. (laughs) I won't. (laughs) For a summary of this episode, it was written by Curtis Gwynn, who I believe is a new writer. He doesn't even go here. He doesn't. He does not go here. But Curtis Gwynn, he starts writing in this season and then actually starts coming on as a producer in season four. So we will see him again. And this episode was directed by Uta Brizewitz again. This director only directed the last episode and this episode. Is that right? Yes. The Flayed and E Pluribus Unum. Yep. (laughs) Every time you have to say it, I'm just going to insert my voice. Yes. This episode. (laughs) Like Microsoft Sam. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's what we should just do. This chapter aired July 4th, 2019, just like all the others of this season. And for our summary, we turn to Netflix once again. Dr. Alexi, which Dr. Alexi? What's his last name? Pause. Dr. Alexi. (laughs) Netflix was like, we're calling this man by his proper name. Yes. He's he went to school for this. Call him doctor. The disrespect. (laughs) Dr. Alexei reveals what the Russians have been doing. Eleven uses her ability to see where Billy has been. Dustin and Erica plan a daring rescue. All right. That's not too bad. It's not bad. It's vague enough, and it touches every plot point, I think. Amanda doesn't want to do the fast facts, because it Mm-mm. says e pluribus unum in them. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> okay, I will do the fast facts. So the fast facts for this chapter... The first one is really, I think, the most important. So e pluribus unum means out of many, one in Latin. And it is actually the motto of the United States, Merca. <laughs> it is actually also a double meaning. At least I think that's what we're meant to interpret it as. So I we have, so. right, we have the combination of all of the flayed, so the many, to create the single physical manifestation of the mind flayer, the one. Mm-hmm. But also as far as, you know the good old us of a is concerned the reference is more to the original small 13 colonies forming the one single united states of america um it's also on all of the u.s coins and i did check the coins i just i really needed to be sure of this it is on all of our coins our quarter our nickel our dime and our penny and i think the silver dollar or one of those other coins i think it's also on that one cool But all of our coins say e pluribus unum. So I thought that was really fun. This chapter 
was the one that was originally called The Birthday, and I simply do not know why. Still, is it America's <laughs> Birthday? Is that what we were doing? I also that could th- make sense. It could. I also thought that, you know, the Mind Flayer is forming, so maybe it's his birthday. Like, it's... <laughs> I just didn't know what they meant by the birthday. Welcome to the world, baby skin spider. Aw, the baby's here. (laughs) So sweet. Young Max in Billy's memory is actually played by Sadie's younger sister, JC. So cute. It is cute. And then last but not least, you can call Murray's number. It's you see it on his rotary phone when they're dialing for the philadelphia public library number quote unquote (laughs) yeah and if you haven't done it you should you get a fun little voicemail the number is 618-625-8313 if you're interested let's do this let's do this under star court mall steve dustin robin and erica watch as the russian scientists attempt to reopen the gate to the upside down steve and dustin realize what's up and begin to explain it to erica and robin But Erica notices that the Russian dude who Steve knocked out has vacated the premises. An alarm starts to blare as the Russians finally realize that their top secret underground base has been infiltrated by some teeny boppers. The foursome attempt to make an escape, but instead end up in the room with the giant laser beam (laughs) that could very easily vaporize them. It makes wind. Yeah, I didn't even realize they ended up in that room. Yeah. Dustin and Erica manage to escape through a vent in the floor, leaving Robin and Steve to fend off the armed Russian guards. I just want to say that I love when they're sprinting through the room with the gate and Dustin screeches as he pushes the Russian guard out of the way. <laughs> that made me laugh, too. I can't even mimic it. It's just it's it's too good, though. It was like the, the prepubescent screech of like like an in-between yeah. voice. Yeah. They're, yeah. Voice is cracked. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that Steve and Dustin immediately knew what they were looking at, despite never having actually seen the gate. That is so true. They were like, the gate. Yep, that's it. They knew. (laughs) They're going somewhere. (laughs) Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve, so much for your input. (laughs) Speaking of that, what this zoomed out view that we get here, which I just want to put this on record again. This is this. I didn't remember this scene whatsoever. I must have been literally asleep. You see them standing on this precipice with the Mm -hmm. laser, and then you can see the ladder that actually goes down. You pointed this out to me that goes down, and I never noticed that, and I it kind of reshapes to me the fact that Hop did survive, because that always felt like, oh, convenient ladder, oh. But, like, it was, they showed it to us. Mm -hmm. They did. And he must have climbed down into that crevice. Yeah, that chasm. Chasm is the word. Well, I think it's really interesting, too, that, like, it's definitely there. It was not retconned. It's there. Mm-hmm. Where, like, were we asleep on the internet during season, between seasons three and four? Because I don't remember anyone pointing that out. I just don't know if I, I'm going to be honest, like, I don't think I cared as much. I was, yeah, with COVID in between seasons three and four, there was a lot going on. So, like, I there was. I don't even, I didn't spend much time on the internet or Reddit as far as Stranger Things was concerned. That and, like, I was honestly a Hopper is dead truther. I was Mm. like, he's dead. I really think he's dead. Yeah. I was wrong, as I am about most things that I'm pretty certain about. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) 
But yeah, I really thought he was dead. So maybe that's why I didn't see that sort of content out there because I wasn't looking for it. I don't know. Maybe. And I just like, I just appreciate the fact that this was there. You know, like we can Mm -hmm. see it. I don't know what's at the bottom of this chasm. Very true. Very true. I also think that this scene is one of those like what that budget do scenes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it's also really colorful. And I know the gate is really bad, but it's also really pretty. Isn't it pretty? Mm -hmm. And all those panels on the wall, I don't know if you notice them, that I presume are, are like meant to show the power grid, but they look like a metro map. Like yes. they're all like the, the lines. And all of the colors in the environment match our characters' outfits too. Wow. Yeah. So like Steve and Robin are in the red, white, and blue scoops uniforms. And Erica and Dustin both have on yellow shirts under blue denim. Wow. So okay. They're all matchy matchy with the environment. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. So much color. I pointed out those, like, metro-looking maps, too, and I actually thought they were, like, a map of the tunnels Hmm. that they're in. That's what I thought they were looking at, but you might be right. The only reason I don't know if they're a map of the tunnels is because would all the tunnels run parallel? Like, like exactly parallel? Because they were, like, very mm. in, in, in lines and in rows. Right, they weren't, they weren't very branchy. No, it was, like, very, like, it looked like a power, to me, it looked like a power grid. Yeah, you're probably right. It was probably like fuses or whatever. I only have one more note here. I took a tally. The word shit is said 20 times <laughs> in this scene. In, in this, wow. <laughs> I literally sat there with a, with a post-it note and was like, shit, 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 <laughs> shit. <laughs> Five shits? <Wow>. Six? <laughs> 20 <laughs> shits. Wow. 20 whole shits. <laughs> 20 of them. <laughs> That's awesome. At the hospital, our other group of kids, comprised of Will, Mike, Elle, Lucas, and Max, finally realize that something is afoot. The lights are flickering and Will's next skin is tingling. He's here. Upstairs, our newly formed skin monster is roaring at Nancy and Jonathan. Skin monster begins to pursue Nancy as Jonathan attempts to get its attention (laughs) by screaming, Hey! (laughs) Come on. Thanks, JB. Nancy runs down the hall, the skin monster on her trail, before ducking into a nearby room. Since for some reason this massive creature cannot break down this simple wooden door, it decides to dissolve itself into ooze, which is a direct quote from the wiki, to slither under instead. Meanwhile, Jonathan is limping down the hallway with a metal pole attempting to come to Nancy's rescue. I feel like this scene does does Jonathan just a little dirty. <laughs> He reminds me of Neville at the end of Deathly Hallows. Literally. When when Voldemort's like, well, I expected better. (laughs) Careful, Voldemort. He's going to behead your snake. (laughs) Don't underestimate the JBs and the the NBs of the world. (laughs) That's right. NL. NL, yeah. (laughs) I just had one question about the scene. Yeah. When Nancy is trying to go down the stairs, there's just like a bunch of bags blocking the door. What is that? It is cement solution. Bags oh. of cement solution. Yeah, I. Okay. It, it said cement on it. Cement solution. I, pa- <laughs> I paused. <laughs> I think that's because, and I, I also had a note about this. I think that's because this section of the hospital is under construction. Which That makes sense. Isn't that just such a convenient choice here? I know. (laughs) To not have to account for all of the people that would be in a hospital, the part of the hospital that they are in, 
is under construction. Makes perfect sense. Total sense. <laughs> yeah, I I feel like I've said this in previous <clears throat> episodes, but like, or maybe just the previous one, but I feel like the hospital scenes in particular, I do have to suspend my disbelief a lot. A lot. Yeah. I agree, for sure. It's just very like, where is everyone? Where are the doctors? Where are the construction workers? Oh, yeah. It's nighttime, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Still. The song that's playing here is called He's Here, and it's off the season three score, and I look forward to hearing it in the clubs this summer. I was going to say, I actually paused and said to Eli, do you recognize that track? What is that? I love it. It's so good. (laughs) It's very, like, industrial, and, like, it sounds like metal tubes being banged together. It's my favorite genre. Yes. Metal tube. (laughs) Metal pipe. Don't say pipe. (laughs) Doesn't matter what time of day. It's we're just silly. Still downstairs, Elle and the gang are trying to use the elevator. Them trying to use the elevator in an emergency is so comical to me for some reason. It's just like they're children. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to use the elevator and failing, so they opt for the stairs. Meanwhile, Jonathan tries to break down the door between his girlfriend and the skin spider. Nancy watches the monster take shape again. It hurls her across the room, and she crashes into a nearby table. In the hall, Jonathan has armed himself with an oxygen tank and is attempting to shatter the glass on the door. The skin monster, which has pinned Nancy to the ground, decides to scream right in her face, primed to kill. All of a sudden, Elle and the rest of the kids appear, and Elle uses her powers to throw the monster right out the window. I just have one note, and it's just that the part where Nancy is pinned... And the monster screams in her face and all of its monstery goo mouth juice goes down into her mouth. It's very season one. Yep. I said the same thing. Perfect. It's all we have to say then, everyone. <laughs> well, I did have one other thing. <laughs> Fine. I will allow it. <laughs> when when it melts and like goes under the door and like through the grates, there was like a lot more bigger bones in there than could fit through there. Where did they go? Is this a wrong answers only? <laughs> I, right? Like... <laughs> There's no answer. It's a rhetorical question. I, I I had the same thought. I just figured maybe because the vent seems for some reason to flex. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah. Maybe the bones just fit through thought. the vent holes. Yeah. Again, suspending my disbelief. And also, I feel that this is a very what that budget do scene also. Very true. I was just like trying to watch Millie doing like the special effects acting, like throwing the thing up to the ceiling and then all the ceiling tiles explode. Like... Obviously, she's not really doing that. So I was just trying to imagine like what that looked like in real life. Yeah. And she's got to do she's got to do it. <laughs> like She's got to do that whole thing. Right. But, yeah. Like, she's not actually doing it to anything. No. She's just <laughs> waving her hand around. Back to Harry screaming. Potter. It's like Harry talking to Dobby, which is not there. Like, Dobby is not there. Yes. He's just he's not there. It's <laughs> uh, so funny. Imagine Mike walking in on his sister in this predicament. <laughs> that's gotta be scary it's gotta be a little bit frightening yeah that's pretty weird yeah i just you never think about that yeah it's kind of interesting seeing i feel like this episode overall shows our characters getting as close to fatal danger as we've seen them so far i i like that point like and i like to think about that in the context of this chapter a lot yeah yeah because like yeah, with, like, the Russian plot and everything, it's, like, all very real in this chapter. Yeah, and I, I almost, like, 
am glad that you said that so early because now I think as we keep talking, I'll probably think about it through that lens. Mm-hmm. The gang makes their way outside just as the skin monster dissolves yet again and retreats into a nearby sewer drain, leaving whole-ass human bones in its wake. The skin monster makes his way back to Brimborn Steelworks via the sewage system, where Heather and Billy are awaiting its return. Billy proclaims, It's time. I love the detail, the tiny little detail of making sure that Jonathan limped this entire time. Yeah. He limps the whole, he limps, he hobbles out of the hospital. I wonder if they like put something in their shoe or something to make it like hard to walk. To make it like a realistic limp? Yeah. Like some Legos? (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking more like a sandbag, but (laughs) if you really want to drive the point home that they're in pain, sure. Just stick some Legos in Charlie Heaton's shoe. (laughs) Just make them actually be in pain. (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. It's time. You know, you know who else says that? Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. I don't want to talk about it. Nope, me either. (laughs) That took me a second. I'm glad. I was like, Rafiki. Rafiki says it is time in The Lion King. (laughs) Definitely not who I was talking about, but great example. (laughs) I was like, ooh, another Lion King parallel? (laughs) All right. (laughs) No, uh, no. Okay. All right. I like the... Again, we have another really cool wide shot here. We, I feel like this show doesn't do wide shots very often like this. Like, we get them at True. big moments, like in the gate when Elle is closing in. We see that really far out view of her and Hopper. And so, like, wide shots are few and far between. So I like this one, too, where they're all standing outside of the emergency room. And you have the, bl- the bright red emergency room sign to their, to their right in the frame. And then on the left, you have the payphone that Nancy used to call Jonathan at the beginning yeah yeah. i just i just think it's so cool and everything has this red glow the colors this this whole i'm just like i'm really hung up on colors yeah me too i mean this season makes no secret of the fact that colors are kind of important here they really i mean like amanda's zoom background right now is just the scoops ahoy (laughs) storefront and it's got yellow bananas and blue paneling and red outlines on the it's just so colorful Yes. A yes. red door. There's a red door. There is a red door. There is a red door in Scoops Ahoy. That leads to the back. Where, where they decode the Russian the message, yep. too. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Okay. Zoom background. It said you're welcome. <laughs> there is one caption in this scene that I hope to never read again. And it is rhythmic grunting. <laughs> Not rhythmic grunting. <laughs> oh god rhythmic grunting ew that's the last time i'm saying it does that come from the the goo when it enters brimborn steelworks yeah it says rhythm i said i wasn't gonna say it again it says (laughs) rhythmic grunting (laughs) thank you for that clarification (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i just i have one more thing for this one Yes. So when Billy and Heather are standing there with those very vacant zombie-like expressions on their faces, it really reminds me of Tim Burton. And I thought of that. And then I was looking up the music for this chapter. And there are a decent number of songs by Danny Elfman in this chapter. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is very Tim Burton-y. And then I started looking at the music and I was like, that's Danny Elfman. <laughs> wow that's actually very surprising yeah i was i was surprised as well i i I mentioned the actual songs as we go through it but yeah i was just like oh okay at the fourth of july fun fair klein is smoking a cigar 
and pestering an innocent hot dog vendor. <laughs> Grigori and Klein have a quick staff meeting in the Gravitron ride because Grigori is pissed that Klein let Hop get out of hand. Klein condescendingly tells Grigori to bring some comb raids next time. Oh, God. Since, <laughs> since, you know, Hop got the better of him, but Grigori does not like to be teased, so he begins to choke Klein inadvertently, starting the Gravitron in the process. The two spin in circles as Grigori <laughs> continues to choke Klein, telling him he has one day to find Hop. This is a ridiculous scene. It, I'm so going to therapy. <laughs> I know. We talked about that. Me and Eli, we were like, doesn't that seem a little ahead of its time? <laughs> it does. You wouldn't just like advertise that. In the 80s in as the a 80s man. as a man. Yeah, that felt a little ahead of its time. But not going to lie, this fair looks like a blast. It looks great. And I, like, I was trying to decide from a business perspective, is it better for the hot dog vendor to be in the main thoroughfare or should he actually be where the food is? You know, that's a great question. And I mean, I kind of I kind of agree with Klein. I mean, obviously, okay. his his way of going about it was really mean, but Yeah, like, I mean, he is a swine, so. Yeah. But the kid really is standing like in the middle of a walkway. <laughs> it's like not a good place. I like how how he was just like, "Okay, yes, sir. I'm so sorry." Like he was just so accommodating to Klein. I know, even though he was a big jerk to him. Even though he was a big jerk. Speaking of him being a big jerk, did you notice that all the signs say Mayor Klein presents? No. It's like Mayor Klein presents the fun fair. It's not the town of Hawkins. Oh, no. It's him. Him himself. Yikes. Yeah. Piece of shit. He is. He's really giving Heath Ledger again in this scene from from The Dark Knight. He just like, for some reason, I think it's the smile, like the crooked smile, the teeth. Something about him is really giving Heath Ledger's Joker. Hmm. I see that. Klein. There's also more red inside the Gravitron. Yeah. It's all true. red. When Klein looks up and Grigori is just standing there, like, <laughs> mysteriously. Did you ever watch Moody's Point on The Amanda Show? I'm sh- Yes, but, like, I don't recall it perfectly. Okay. There was a character in that show named Sternum. <laughs> And he would just appear places, and he was, like, uber mysterious. And I'm thinking of one scene in particular where he shows up, and he's just painting his locker black. <laughs> and, and the principal comes by and is like, Sternum, why are you painting your locker black? And he's like, why aren't I painting my locker black? <laughs> you want to talk about ahead of its time? The Amanda show was ahead of its right? time. <laughs> that show is really funny. It still holds up. Why is his name Sternum? <laughs> That sounds like the name you give, like, a dystopian character. Yes. Like, four. I think it was supposed to be, like, like a, a parody of Dawson's Creek, I'm yes, pretty sure. Yes, Moody's Point, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, oh, my God. Yeah, that, that was Sternum just appearing. And this, like, tone, this mysterious tone always played when he would appear. I love that. I'm going to call Gregory Sternum from now yeah. on. Yeah, Sternum is here. The song that's playing, speaking of mysterious tone, the song that's playing when Klein spots Grigori is Do You Accept the Risk from season two. Interesting. I know. I was like, I don't know, Klein. Do you accept the risk? I don't think he knows. He doesn't know. The other day, I was shaving Eli's head and... (laughs) (laughs) Not where I thought that was going. No. And and he needed help with, like, fading his sideburns. And I was like, I think I can handle it. And he was like, I don't know. And I was like, do you accept the risk? <laughs> and he said yes. <laughs> they turned out fine. That's great. I love Stranger Things weaving itself into inappropriate times in our yes. relationships. 
to you accept the risk. <laughs> oh my god, that's a great story. At the Bauman residence, Hopper brings Alexi the meal he requested. Two Whoppers, extra ketchup, a large fry, a pack of Marlboro Reds, and one extra large Slurpee. Alexi starts chowing down on his burger as Joyce begins to question the purpose of the generators, Murray acting as a translator. However, Alexi quickly spits out the Slurpee because it tastes like shit strawberry. The man asks for cherry, Jimothy. Alexi tells them that he won't speak if they don't get him a cherry Slurpee. No cherry, no deal. Hop, now angry, loses his shit and goes after Alexi, tossing him outside with the keys to the car and the keys for the handcuffs. He can get his own damn cherry Slurpee. <laughs> I just feel like David Harbour in this scene is just so good. He's David Harboring. He, he is. He, that is it. That is yeah. what he's doing. Like he is. What is it? What is Murray? He's like he says it's strawberry, and Hop is like, I'm sorry, <laughs> but like it doesn't blink at all. He's Jack Nicholsoning is he what he's is. doing. Is this is yeah. why this may I can't. I just love David Harbour. I keep yeah. seeing him in those Gran Turismo commercials, and I'm like, Slurpee, Slurpee, Slurpee. <laughs> what What are you like? Can you wait? Not that. Can you say the say the other thing that you're like? You know, when you say hi to the to the man. Hi, Daddy. That <laughs> when you say hi to the man. <laughs> we had a listener ask us to say hi, Daddy, in every chapter episode and every episode. Maybe from here on out, I need to find a way to work it in. Yes. I mean, it, it's kind of happened anyway. I know. It keeps happening. I just laugh at the scene every time when he's just like holding Alexi down and he's like, I'm not going to hurt him. <laughs> like he's telling himself that. Yeah. <laughs> but also like when he's when he's like still having that conversation with Murray and he's like, well, they didn't have Cherry. They didn't have it. Like he's they like going to cry. <laughs> He didn't have it. Oh, poor Hop. I want Burger King every time I watch this scene. Give me Burger King. I know. The fries, man. Oh, so good. Inside, Hopper insists to Joyce and Murray that Alexi won't actually leave. He believes that Alexi would be in deep shit if he got back into the hands of his fellow Russians. As Hopper is spewing his theory, Alexi starts up the car and begins to drive away. Joyce pushes past Hop, making her way outside, only to find that Alexi didn't get very far. Alexi puts the car in reverse and slowly makes his way back to the group, proving Hop right. I feel like Joyce calling Hop Jim in this scene was really odd. I didn't even notice that, but that is odd. When she's trying to get outside, when he's blockading her from getting outside, she's like, Jim, Jim. And like, she like tries to maneuver around him. It just felt very sexually charged. Yeah, that's weird. Maybe I'm just like projecting onto the scene. Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. Like, I, I go between like, it's it's like very intimate in that Mm. way like at first i thought of like scolding like when you're in trouble and your parent uses your middle name kind of yeah (laughs) but also it's just like in general a very intimate thing to do like to call him by a name he's not normally called by yeah it yes it's like they're behind closed doors or something like she calls him hop externally but in other contexts she does call i've just has she ever called him jim yeah it's weird it's I'm almost battling between intimacy and actually removal. Ooh. Like Jim, Jim almost feels impersonal in a way. <clears throat> Interest. I like that take. Hmm. Because Hop is sort of a nickname. It is a nickname, but also everyone calls him Hop, and nobody calls him Jim except the mayor. 
and it feels like people who don't know him super well do like yeah like the mayor calls him jim although i think that's a power thing yeah probably Um, so Hmm. i don't know it it could be very intimate or it could be very removed Ooh. okay yeah very weird thank you for pointing that out because i didn't even notice that sure Back under Starcourt, a group of stormtroopers dressed in Russian military garb marched through the halls of the Death Star. I mean, the bunker. In a nearby air duct, Dustin fills Erica in on the entire plots of seasons <laughs> one and two. <laughs> and then the Devon dogs came after us and El killed them. This kind of reminds me, if, if anyone has seen Frozen 2, there's a scene in Frozen 2 when Olaf is literally just acting out Frozen yes. 1. Yes, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> It's like, what's happening here? Oh, so good. Erica Erica expresses disbelief that Lucas was involved at all in any of the events that Dustin just described, and she then proceeds to do some very quick math about how long it will take them to get back to the elevator at the rate they're going. Dustin calls her a nerd because she's good at math, understands politics, and likes My Little Pony. He proceeds to disable the fans, allowing them to continue their journey through the vents. I just want to point out that Erica has confirmed that Lucas's middle name is Charles. I wrote the same thing. (laughs) I said, oh my God, we have a confirmed middle name. We have a confirmed middle name. We're just waiting on Nancy to confirm Mike's middle name is Vincent. Yes. Come on, Nancy. Or Theodore. Or Theodore. Right. Or both. Maybe he has two middle names. Oh my gosh. Michael Vincent Theodore Wheeler. I mean, it's not that bad. (laughs) No, it works. I, I just have to say I love their chemistry as like siblings it mm-hmm. is so good they are they are magical together these two yeah i i just think they're a great pairing i love them together what what does she say in season four when jason comes to her door she's like dustin henderson we have bled, we have to bled get, together we have bled together <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute she she's it, you're right they do have great chemistry yeah and you have to figure dustin has i mean i don't know dustin moved there late right but how many years has dustin known erica it's kind of like me knowing your sister yeah right like you've watched her grow up yeah exactly i never realized that lady applejack is a my little pony reference yep i never put two and two together she names her D &D character after a my little pony character i didn't realize that that's so great i know in the bunker steve is violently interrogated by a russian colonel who is demanding to know who he works for scoops ahoy (laughs) scoops (laughs) scoops we work for scoops (laughs) steve tells a pretty convincing lie about how they got in their order didn't come so they went to the loading dock which turned into an elevator that is like an insanely good story it isn't like did he just come up with that on the spot or did they pre-plan that right i was wondering the same because that's really good they continue to beat him and he attempts to bribe them with ice cream who doesn't like ice cream The Russian soldiers begin to laugh unexpectedly at Steve, who joins in, but it ends just as quickly as it begins. The colonel once again demands to know who Steve works for, just as the other soldier clocks Steve over the head, knocking him unconscious. He's just so good. Mm -hmm. Just the the way that he delivers that you think I just wear this. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Which is like a great, you think I just, you think I just wear this? A spy in a sailor uniform? (laughs) And it, it reminds me again of that scene in season four with the lamp when he's when I could have killed you. <laughs> What's wrong with you, Sinclair? I could have taken you out with this lamp. Like, it's just so I don't know. <laughs> I just I, he's so good. I actually wrote Steve Harrington as a great actor. Wow. Like, wow. Not Joe Keery. <laughs> Steve Harrington. 
Oh, he's a good actor. He is. Good job, Steve Harrington, the hair. Yeah, Steve the Hare Harrington, great actor. <laughs> I don't know if you have Russian ice cream or if that's considered gelato. <laughs> He's just like word vomiting in, in a pure panic. Oh my god. And then the way he laughs. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. I googled I googled laughter as an interrogation method. That's so funny because I actually wrote as my only other note. I don't understand the laughter if they're going to beat him anyway. Yeah. So I looked it up because I was like, this is not the only time we see this either. I think it happens. It sort of happens in season four. They're not interrogating Murray and Joyce yet. But Mm. when Murray is pretending to be Yuri still and they're in Mm. that like office, they start to laugh because Murray is like a like a crazy dude. And he's like, I knew you were crazy, but not this crazy. And they start to (laughs) laugh. So I Googled it. I was like, what is the significance of this? So I found this article um, that actually focused more on prisoners or suspects using laughter to disarm their interrogators. Mm. So not the other way around. But also it did it did focus a little bit on law enforcement using laughter to disarm whomever they're interrogating. And it said that volitional laughter can give a person the upper hand if you believe they're non-threatening signals. And it also said that laughter results in something called cataplexy, which is a sudden brief loss of voluntary muscle tone triggered by strong emotions such as laughter, excitement, anger, or fear. So laughter can legit be used to, like, disarm. Like, physically disarm. Physically and, like, emotionally disarm to, like, make you soften and more likely to comply. Isn't that crazy? That is. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. It does. Yeah. So that's why they laugh, I guess. Wow. Cool. And terrible. And awful and horrifying. And please stop. The Russian soldiers drag an unconscious Steve into a different room, reuniting him with Robin, who is also being slapped around. As Robin attempts to get... You okay? I'm slapping you around. Oh. (laughs) As Robin attempts to get Steve to wake up, the soldiers tie the duo together. The colonel condescendingly tells Robin that he thinks her friend needs a doctor. Good thing they have the very best. Robin spits in his face. The colonel calls her a little bitch in Russian before leaving the pair alone. I hate to say this, and you can totally disagree with me, but I am not a fan of Maya Hawke's acting in this like little collection of scenes. You can disagree. I just, I, I yeah. don't, I don't know if I, I don't, I see through it. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't see that. I, yeah. I'm going to say like maybe the next scene where like he finally wakes up. Yes. Okay. This one I like. I, I like her spitting in his I face. I like the spit. The spit is good. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, when Steve starts to wake up, it's like, eh, but I really like the monologue later. Yeah. Yeah, it, it like goes up and down. I don't know if it's like when she's pretend like acting distressed that I see through it. And then in other moments, it's perfectly fine. But it's just something about this like segment of scenes between them being interrogated and then Steve waking up. Yeah. I'm like, I see what you're doing. I see. Th- I don't know. It rubs me the wrong way. Okay. Love Maya Hawk. It's just something about this hmm. is weird. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm with you. At Hop's cabin, Elle is walking around aimlessly in her mind void while searching for the flayed. A pile of bloody tissue sits at her side. She's been at this for a while with no success. Mike expresses anxiety at her being under for so long. What if she gets brain damage? 
Max argues with him about Eleven's limitations, saying that Mike has no idea what he's talking about. First of all, I love that everyone seems to have taken a minute to change their clothes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Like, I, I don't know. Again, with this chapter, I was really consciously aware of, like, these in-between moments that are very just human that we don't get to see. Like, okay, everyone go home and change and meet up at the creepy woodland cabin and we'll have some lunch. And it just, like, you don't see that that stuff, but it, it, it the implication is that it's happening right like they all had lunch like there was a sandwich on the table i think lucas had like a glass of milk like yeah they like re regrouped yes in between coming from the hospital and now they're at hop's cabin they were like all right well that activity is over everybody you have 15 minutes of free time and then we're going to regroup over at the cabin yes for more activities <laughs> we're now doing our indoor activities mm-hmm. yesterday we did our outs kickball time we're at camp <laughs> i wish <laughs> Seeing all the photos on the floor, Billy's senior photo made me emotional. Aww. That was that made me sad. It is um, sad. The picture of Bruce Lowe was like his writer picture in the newspaper, and I thought it said Bruce Lowe communist, but it actually says <laughs> columnist. Bruce Bruce Lowe columnist. <laughs> like I had to go back and pause. I was like, does that say communist? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like i was like bruce really i don't think so i just need to know though like so particularly the holloways that photo is really giving awkward family photos you remember that yes. website yes but also where did they get it did they steal it from their house but like preemptively or was there like a detour in between like they changed nancy was like hold on i gotta stop at the holloways i gotta grab a family photo like where yeah. did they acquire True. this family photo and same with the picture of Mrs. Driscoll, like that little pamphlet for senior bingo night. And that she <laughs> just so happened to be like the 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 photo of her was what was on the pamphlet. She was the cover girl. She, that's the word, the cover. Thank you. I was like the photo person on the cover. <laughs> but she also, was easy, breezy, beautiful. It was, yeah. But, but also um, I, I Googled... Uh, a calendar for 1985 and i just want to confirm that wednesday july 10th which is the night of the bingo night was actually correct wow yep july 10th we, in 1985 was a wednesday we love the attention to detail yep mm-hmm. where did they get this pamphlet i don't know but mrs driscoll unfortunately is not making it to that bingo night she does not have bingo no i can't imagine you mentioned this all started when you mentioned billy's senior photo i can't imagine him sitting for a senior photo i know that it's kind of weird right it seems like he would cut school that day but i also think like maybe we are meant to read into it a little bit because there's like an innocence in sitting for a school photo right and like a yeah. i'm gonna give my mom and dad a copy of my school photo yeah that's interesting that you say that too because i feel like this is the first time that we actually see any sort of disarmament from billy and it's not even like direct it's just really in the photo right but then Elle gets to see him as a little boy and i wonder if it's meant to like prime us Mm. to to see billy as a whole person yeah like to soften us a little bit to him Mm -hmm. like here he is just being a senior in high school right like he's just trying to graduate high school like he's not the villain yeah that makes me sad i'm sad now I just gotta say, I, I'm like a little bit on Mike's side here. Mm, I yeah. I do feel that they sometimes are quite careless with her powers, and they don't 
consider that there could be long-term effects of letting her just battery drain all the time. Agreed. I mean, I think Max is also right. It's definitely Mm -hmm. up to Elle to decide that, but I don't think Mike's concern is unfounded. No, and I do think, like, Mike says that Elle could get brain damage, and Max is, and Lucas is like, is that real? And Max is like, no, he's just making that up. But, like, in the dive, in season four, Brenner essentially compares what happens to her to a stroke. Yeah. Which is that not, I'm I'm so, like, part of my ignorance, but doesn't a stroke sometimes result in brain damage? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it can result in, like, long-term damage. Yeah, so Mike wasn't, like, wrong. Yeah. That's very true. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. And, well, later, not yet, but she says that, like, she can't get hurt in there, but we know for a fact that that's not true. But that's, like, so eerie, too, because at this point, she really can't. But once we introduce Vecna, yeah, you can get very hurt in there. Very. You can die. Lots of foreshadowing in just that one little piece of scene. True. Nancy, who is still acting like she works for the Hawkins Post, calls the places that complained about rats to see if any more chemicals have gone missing, but finds nothing. Jonathan, Nancy, and Will discuss the flayed, and Will suggests that they might have all the chemicals they need, hence why no more chemicals have gone missing. Nancy is hung up on the source, though. Did the mind flayer just stop infecting people, and why can't Elle find them? I kind of find Nancy's logic hard to follow here, even though I know that what she is saying makes sense. So she's calling around to farm supply stores, right, to try to see if any other chemicals have gone missing. Right. And they have not. There's no more chemicals going missing, presumably because, as Will said, they have enough chemicals. They don't need any more. Okay. But then Nancy is like, well, what about the source? And then she says, did the mind flayer just stop infecting people? What does this have to do with anything? Didn't we just answer this question? Yes, he did, because they have enough chemicals. Like, and why mm. is she so hung up on the source? Yeah, what is their point in finding the source? I don't know. What difference does it make? Is it just because we as viewers have more information? So to us, the answer seems like, why do we need to know the source? But to them, they want to find out where the flaying is happening. Oh, yeah, because they don't even know that there's a monster yet. No. Well, well yes, they well, do. They, they, they sort of do. They see it. They just fended it off. I don't know if they know that the massive monster exists No, no shot, yeah. Yeah. But, but they so, assume people are f- being flayed. Yeah, and then they do come to the conclusion that they're all being melted like that. Yeah. So I don't know what they think is going on. Maybe they just think if they go to the source like they'll find out more information like i think maybe that's just the only lead they have right now okay maybe that is what it is because i'm like why are we so hung up on the source yeah yeah that is a good question i never really thought about it but i don't really know felt weird mike and max approach jonathan will and nancy asking if they can help settle an argument they're having about l's limits Max insists that Mike's overprotectiveness is why she dumped his ass, but Mike insists that Elle is risking her life for no reason. The group pushes back against Mike, though, saying the flayed is out there doing God knows what, plus Elle's not stupid and she knows her abilities better than anyone. But Mike doubles down. Everyone is treating Elle like a machine, and she's not a machine, and he doesn't want her to die looking for the flayed because they have vanished off the face of the earth, and can they please come up with a new plan because he loves her and he can't lose her again? The group goes silent at Mike's confession just as Elle emerges from her room. She found Billy. I just want to say this is an iconic Nancy fit. It is. This is a, this is Nancy Nancy at her one of her best. I love this outfit. Me this, too. Like hot pink top with the black stripes. 
and the high-waisted jeans with the belt. So cute. So cute. She looks so good. Love it. I know. She is really a style icon. I love that cardigan that she wears in the Hellfire Club, that long, yes. like, lavender card with the with the yellow. Doesn't it have I yellow? I was just thinking about that. Yeah. I love that outfit. <laughs> Me too. It's so cute. With the, she's wearing, like, the Emerson tee yes. with a skirt, and she just looks so scholarly and, and cute. And she's got her booties on. Yes. Oh, she booties. looks so precious. I would wear that outfit tomorrow. Yes, yeah, same. <laughs> so cute. I feel like seeing Max and Nancy interact is an unlikely animal friends moment. Max and Nancy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least at this point. Yes, agreed. So many unlikely animal friends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Max and Nancy is definitely one of those. I think, and we were all, we kind of already touched on this a little bit, I can really appreciate both angles here, like Mike and Max. I think Mike knows that Elle's powers were abused by Brenner, so I think he's trying not to replicate that experience for her. But he's also selfishly motivated in that he doesn't want to lose her again. Of course. But then to Max's point, Elle has never had the freedom to test her own limits. And she might need to do that and fail, which like we obviously know she does. Yeah. To enhance how she understands her abilities. I don't know. I struggle with this. Like, I think I'm more in agreement with Max on the point of it is Elle's choice. But I think I agree with Mike's point of we shouldn't push her to overextend herself but allow her to make the choice right that's a great distinction that like it needs to be ultimately up to her and she shouldn't feel pressure to have to do it exactly because i think mike and max's points can both exist at the same time i don't think either of them are wrong right but they're not seeing it that way yeah also mike just confessed to loving l and I just said Mike filled his yearly quota of I love you. So see you next year. That's that's it. Yeah. See you. See exactly. See you next summer. See you next time. He's afraid he's going to lose L. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love the expression. The it is the T. That is the T. <laughs> Yikes. I hate that T. I'm going to pour that T out. <laughs> it's too hot. <laughs> I love the expression, though, on Nancy's face when Mike admits to loving L. It's like my little brother is in love sort of thing um but also the expression on lucas's face he's just like "Mm, mm, mm, what what my guy this is not what we talked about this is abort abort mission (laughs) it's it's Uh, cute and also i'm so sorry i don't mean to be rude but can jonathan contribute the man has said not one word well, I, I hate to break it to you, but neither has his brother. Well, g- come on. You, you <laughs> neither bu- one of <laughs> How are either of these children a product of Joyce? We see Joyce right? yell this entire episode and the previous one, and Jonathan and Will are just like... <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Will has like three lines in this entire episode. I just cannot. Like, and, and there's a lot of characters, and they're all doing a lot of talking, and I understand that. And I appreciate Will making the connection, like, well, maybe they have enough chemicals they don't need anymore. But, like, Jonathan is just, like, using the phone book. <laughs> like, I'm so, I just want him to s- speak up. Oh, my God. I know. It's weird. I, they, like, the buyers just don't, well, the buyers boys don't, like, do much in this what, episode. That's when, what the, I, I just, speak. Speak. Woof. Woof, bark. Back at Murray's, Alexi identifies the Russian machine as the key. 
It requires lots of strength and power to function. He explains that the properties brought up by the Russians are located near transformers, which are being used to steal power from the town's power grid. Hopper questions why they are building the key in Hawkins and not in Russia, and Alexei explains that the Russians are attempting to open the barrier between worlds using the immense energy produced by the key. They tried to build many keys in Russia, but they all failed. The hope is that the key will work in Hawkins because a door has already been opened once before, leaving this area vulnerable. Joyce asks Alexei if the door is already open, and Alexei confirms that, is, that it is in the process of being opened. Everyone is smoking except Murray. Love that. My brain went on a whole, like, Murray's a non-smoker and he cares about his health. Like, my brain, like, went down, like, a whole rabbit hole of, oh, God, no more holes. No more uh, holes. <laughs> yeah, I just, I noticed that he's the only one not smoking. When Alexei describes why the keys are not being built in Russia, Murray translates to say that they came out wrong, mm. but... Eli told me that the word that Alexei actually used is closer to the word horrific or catastrophic. Oh, so they were a disaster. Yes. I love the concept, though, that there were many keys that failed, and now there is one key that is going to work. Whoa. Of many one. That's not... Say it in Latin. Nope. I can't speak Latin. You can't. I didn't go to Hogwarts, okay? <laughs> can't speak latin <laughs> sure you can no e pluribus Cannot. unum it's a dead language let it go <laughs> it, it, it's dead okay <laughs> how did the russians find hawkins okay yes i have this question in the next in the next scene okay yeah i well not that question in particular but like part of it like why like how did they know yeah like how did they hawkins? it's like this like little what what is a toilet a bathroom stall what do they call yeah. it on the way to disneyland what disneyland? does robin say <laughs> yeah like a, it's a it's a bathroom or bathroom break on the way to disneyland something <laughs> like that like hello how did they figure this out does anybody know how did the russians find hawkins yeah i don't know also this is not translated in the show like in the captions or anything but when alexi hands joyce the whopper wrapper to hold up so he can like put the straw through it he hands it to her and says please Oh, that translation is from me because that's the only Russian word I know. That's all you need to know when you're marrying into a Russian family. Just please. Just please. Please. They all think I'm very polite. <laughs> we ask her a question. It's a yes or no question. She just says, please. Please. <laughs> um, Joyce's makeup looks so good here. And again, I just need to point out these like strange in between moments i just picture joyce being like everybody please hold i have to go into the bathroom reapply my makeup <laughs> this wouldn't happen no it seems very not important right now which is kind of funny because you can sort of tell that nancy did not do that because her eyeliner is just everywhere interesting yeah yeah hmm hopper is also horrified yeah i listened to uh i've mentioned this before but the office ladies podcast mm -hmm. and they they talk a lot about like acting terms and things I would never know otherwise. But I learned from that podcast about an actor term called the moment of discovery, which is exactly what it sounds like. Ooh, I just got chills. Right? And like Joyce and Hopper's, or well, David and Winona's moment of discovery here is so good. Like you can feel Hopper like about to retch. Yes. Like, like he looks like he's about to vomit. Yes. Like 
And I feel like you can see his brain go, we just fucking closed that thing. Yeah. Like, I just sacrificed my daughter to go and close this. Like, yes, that I love the moment of discovery. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of those this chapter, I feel like. Yeah, there's a lot of realization. There is. Like, we see Hopper and Joyce have that. And then Dustin and Steve earlier when they say the gate, which, like, obviously doesn't, it's not quite as hard hitting. Yeah. But it's just, it's so good. And there's also this element of, like, so so Steve and Dustin are in the know, right? They know what's up. But Robin and Erica don't. So they're left with this task of more or less explaining. And then in this context of Hopper and Joyce knowing, they then have Alexi and Murray who have no idea what's going on. And they're left with the task of explaining. So it's like right. we're kind of back to that. I think we talked this about this a lot in season two with, like, Bob and Max, like, bringing these other characters into the fold of what the fuck is going on. And the, mm-hmm. and I, I honestly, like, think about this from the perspective of they keep adding more characters they keep adding more characters but like that it would be the natural progression of these of these events like it it's not practical that all of this would continue on and other people wouldn't be brought into the fold you know very true yeah like, yeah what are they like, supposed to do right like naturally you make more friends as you grow up and you meet more people and more people become relevant to your situation. Yeah. And also like the more dire that these events get, the more people are going to know about, I don't now I'm like, th- yes, there I mean, are a yeah. lot of characters, but that's just the natural progression of life. I don't it know. It is. You meet people and your life changes and you know, yeah. In a panic, Joyce hurries to the phone to call the kids while Hopper raids Murray's kitchen in search of booze. Understandable. Murray joins him, and the two speculate that if there's a way to start the key, there has to be a way to stop it. The two men return to continue questioning Alexi. Murray asks him if there's a way to turn off the key. Of course there's a way to turn it off, but Alexi is compromised now and couldn't get there even if he tried. Hopper promises to get Alexi to the key, but Alexi laughs. There's no way to get in there. The key is in an underground fortress designed by the greatest Russian minds, guarded by their greatest warriors. Breaking in is impossible. Unless, of course, you're a group of tiny little whippersnappers. I have a question for you. Is Russian, like, a sexy language? I don't know. I guess it could be. I don't know. Like, for some reason in this scene, I sort of started to feel like I like the sound of the Russian language. Yeah, it can be very, like, French-adjacent sometimes. Mm. Just, like, in my brain, that's what it sounds like yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I guess I can hear that. Yeah, so it, it can be. But yeah, sometimes I was thinking that. It's, it's also, like, German-adjacent at For times. For sure. So it can be very harsh. Yeah. So it, it's kind of in between. Yeah, I don't know why. And I don't know if it was because I was, like, all of a sudden thinking of Dimitri or Enzo in season four as just, mm. like, a very, like attractive character and then i'm like he's speaking i don't know i was like making like a bunch of russian sexy associations <laughs> yeah it definitely can be yeah okay i just wanted to ask you as you know again yeah. somebody marrying into a russian family yeah and it, honestly just like hearing your partner speak any other language fluently is like sort of hot i don't hmm. know why yeah I don't okay know. Like, the first time i heard him speak russian to like his parents i was like oh, oh. My God. <laughs> i think but i think like having like being bilingual is for it just like it kind of reeks of like it's like a certain level of i don't want to say intelligence yeah but like worldliness yeah it's like a yeah it's like you're skilled you're skilled yeah yeah but yeah my question from the last Mm. scene is like how did the russians know that there was a gate in hawkins was murray right in season two where there's spies 
Well, wait a second. So I think we're meant to understand, right, that L was being used to spy on Russians as mm. a child in Hawkins lab, right? Like, mm-hmm. wasn't she like, wasn't she kind of spying on a Russian transmission and that's when those random words were being said? Or was that a test? Yeah. Well, no, there was the test part, but then she also had to find like a Russian agent who was saying something and she broadcasted it over the PA. Right, right, right. Yeah. So maybe that's how genuinely the Russians knew that something was up in Hawkins because they would have been able to track the source back to Hawkins in this capacity. Isn't that, that's like another double meaning of the source. Right. Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. But yeah, it's possible. And it's also possible that Murray was correct and that there were spies in Hawkins. Yeah, yeah in the beginning of season two. He's like, he rushes into Hopper's office and is yeah. like, there is evidence of a Russian little girl, spies. That was just L, that. though. That was just L. But he, <laughs> but he might be right that there were other spies. Yeah. There's a poster in Murray's kitchen. I Googled this, too. Okay. I went on, I went on a whole deep dive. Okay, you, you go. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you say what you, you have. I was just going to say, it is the Conspiracy Stomp poster, and it's a poster by Robert Crumb who was an american cartoonist and it's from 1969 and i don't know if you found this but i found this poster on different auction websites oh interesting and it's i saw starting bids from 500 to six thousand dollars for this poster so i just need to know did the prop masters of the show purchase one of those that's where i was going because that's what i found i found auction websites with this poster and like its condition like does it have any stains on it starting bids like wow yeah murray's about to be a very rich man sure not that rich i guess but he's probably sitting on a boatload of stuff in that hole that he lives in well so i didn't deep dive in that direction i deep dove in like the info on the poster so the conspiracy stomp was a 1969 benefit concert to benefit the chicago eight so i had to google that too because i had never heard of it now known as the chicago seven they were a group of people charged by the federal government with conspiracy crossing state lines to incite a riot and other charges related to anti-vietnam war protests oh interesting and there is even a movie about them that came out in 2020 called hmm. the trial of the chicago seven and it was created by aaron sorkin oh yeah i couldn't tell if the event on the poster was a real event or if it was a fictionalized event yeah, no, it was real. It was real? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah, that was all real. Wow. I know. Pretty That's interesting. really cool. Underneath the mall, Dustin and Erica pop out of the vent into a room full of canisters of the green liquid. As Dustin attempts to start up one of the loading cars, Erica spots a cage that seems large enough to fit a demogorgon. But I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. Nah, useless. Erica, <laughs> Erica scares the shit out of Dustin with an electrified cattle prod, and the two make their getaway. The perfect juxtaposed shots here of Alexi saying breaking in is impossible. Cut to Erica and Dustin accessing (laughs) arguably the second most important room in this facility next to the room with the actual key in it. Yeah. It's perfect. And obtaining a deadly weapon. Also is, yes, and a vehicle. Yes. We want to talk about the plants. Yeah. So what are the plants? There are plants on the table behind Dustin. There are two of them. What the fuck are they and why are they here? 
who knows i need to actually know i know like what how are they growing did somebody i said is this like in minecraft when you can grow plants underground if you just place a couple torches <laughs> like how why we we did ask on instagram i had some good replies i got some demogorgon catnip i got like it's obviously a potato plant which i liked okay. and then definitely a couple of you thought that it was just purple palm tree delight of course but i really need to understand what these plants are and why they are here i like demogorgon catnip the most that's a good i mean the other the other thing like from like a from a serious perspective like do they need plants somehow in the the battery power juice do they maybe the, like a oh, mortar maybe? and pestle they like grind them up and use them maybe for oxygen that's what nick said nick was like it's for they need to breathe but there's a whole ventilation system <laughs> well yeah i i just I, these plants just it looks like some someone's dad went to like the garden store and like bought a bunch of vegetables and just like left them <laughs> and he's about to play i don't i don't know yeah they're, it's just if they're very out of place like what are I know. they I, th I think the out of placeness comes from like an organic material being down there yeah that's bizarre yes that's a good point yeah it's all like very industrial and and dark down there too so to see like a plant is very weird a plant in like a like it's like temporary home like a plant that it's a is about to be planted yeah it's in like a little grow pot like not yeah. even a real i just it's bizarre it is elsewhere in the russian bunker steve groggily awakens for to robin's calls for help robin asks if steve is okay after his beatdown. he says apart from his ringing ears and the fact that his eye feels like it's going to pop out of its skull he actually feels pretty good these two silly gooses try to shimmy over to a nearby table in order to reach a pair of scissors but instead they end up falling over robin bursts into laughter at the idea of dying in a russian base with steve the hare harrington but steve assures her they are not going to die okay she tells Steve, the king of Hawkins High himself, how she was obsessed with him in Mrs. Clickety-Clackety's class. <laughs> Mrs. Clickety-Clackety. <laughs> the two discuss how popularity is bullshit. Steve laments about college and tells Robin that he liked being her schmuck before they are rudely interrupted by Dr. Zakharov, who injects them both with a truth serum. All right. So we have to talk about this because it's important. So... Okay. We are meant to understand that these two, at this point, again, upon first watch, are romantically interested. Yes. And Robin, this one, this was good. Like you said, the speech was good. Mm -hmm. So she she legitimately looks like love struck, right? As she's recalling Steve coming to class. Yes. She has like this like far off look in her eyes, like she's having like this moment where she's remembering this and his bagel. <laughs> and and then she proceeds to say that she's she was obsessed with him yeah i guess like in hindsight because remember we said i think in this in the flay that th this didn't age well like yeah but now looking at it it's like she thought she was gonna die so like why or why give away something that she's afraid to i don't know yeah well i mean the way that i think i looked at it this time around was that she was like you said she was trying to put into words how surreal it is to be in this predicament with this person right and then she provided all of this context and like she sat behind him for two days for a year and she knew what he ate for breakfast every day and he had no clue who she even was and now they're gonna die in this russian bunker and i think like if i have to linger on the obsession part i think a little bit of like 
I saw Katie Heron wearing army pants and flip-flops, so I bought army pants and flip-flops. Yes. Not that Robin mimicked Steve, but, like, I think popular people are fascinating when you're that age and you're not a popular person. Mm-hmm. You're like, how do they do it? What's their secret? And even Robin says, she's like, we just want to be accepted. Like, we all pretend like we don't want to be popular, but we really just want to be accepted. Yeah, everyone wants that. So I think that's kind of what the what the truth is of what she's saying. And it's not meant to have that romantic skew. But again, upon first watch, we read it as romantically skewed. Yeah, which, uh, you know, is that compulsive heteronormativity. Ooh. Yes, like compet. Mm. Like we're just looking at this like, oh, of course, she was in love with Steve. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, I never you know? heard that term. Yeah, it's like it it happens to a lot of people who don't realize that they are gay or bisexual or what have you until a much older age. And it's just because like they're like, oh, well, I was always boy crazy. Like, how could I be gay? But like you weren't really boy crazy. You were just kind of obsessed with them because you were watching them and you interpreted it as romantic. Oh, I love that. Because that's what you're trained to do. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting. And yeah, just this monologue overall. I could just see like theater majors using this for auditions mm-hmm. as a monologue. Like it's it's so good. And in season four, she also gives a wonderful theater major monologue when she's <laughs> in the psychologist's office. Yes. Um, so good. That is good. Do we think Steve is quoting Nancy? When he says everything that people tell you is important, everything that people say you should care about is all just bullshit. Maybe. Like, because then he sort of chuckles and says, I guess you got to mess up to figure things out, right? Like, was that his, like, was that the thump? I think that was definitely part of it. I really do. And I actually said it always takes Steve facing near death to have epiphanies like this. And it always takes Mike L being near death to profess his love to her. Yes, our men are all very similar. (laughs) Come on, boys. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I just read my next note and it says, Robin saying Mr. Funny, Mr. Cool in my brain. I'm like, Mr. Sinister. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, not Mr. Sinister. I was actually, I was thinking of Mr. Perfectly Fine by Taylor Swift. Oh, yes. And there's our Taylor reference for the episode. Okay, all right. Okay. (laughs) And also, I just have to say, Steve going, do you even clean that thing? <laughs> just <laughs> made me laugh because I'm just like, I'm imagining like between uses, like how often are they using this? Very thing? true. Very true. Did <laughs> you sterilize it? Can oh, anybody funny. attest to the quality of an Indiana bagel? I was wondering about that. Like, where did Steve go to get his sesame bagel? I was thinking about that when she said a bacon, egg, and cheese on a bagel. I was like, people eat those outside of New Jersey and New York? (laughs) God, I'm so sorry, everyone. (laughs) Sorry, we're dumb. (laughs) We just have, we, you know, here in New Jersey, we think that bagels are, like, they can't be as good as they are in Jersey. No. And pizza, we could be totally wrong, but I just want to know, what is an Indiana bagel like? Yeah. Is it like a Thomas bagel? Well, I, I will say when I lived in upstate New York not good okay not and that's good. still new york it is so even even upstate like pretty much outside of the city they're very different it's the water from the hudson that makes it all 
Yes. And the Passaic River. That dirty river water for your bagels. That's how mm. they come out so delicious. Love dirty river water. <laughs> Actually, we mentioned hot dog trucks like a dirty few episodes ago. Dirty water dogs? Yeah, we call them dirty water dogs here because, come on now, they're not cleaning that. <laughs> Makes me want a hot dog real bad. <laughs> You look like the 4th of July. It all ties together. It does. Wow. <laughs> Legally blonde and stranger things. <laughs> Back at Hop's cabin, Elle is still traipsing around in her mind void in search of Billy and the flayed. She finds Billy sitting alone in his room, and Max concludes that that's not normal. Why would Billy Hargrove be staying in his room on the 4th of July? Will and Nancy deduce that this could be a trap. Billy wants them to find him, so the flayed know where they are. Elle remembers seeing her mother's memories and realizes she can do the same thing with Billy to find the source. She gets set up to re-enter the mind void, but Mike expresses his concern for her safety, making the argument that Billy's mind is unlike her mother's. Elle asks Mike to please trust her. He concedes, and Elle enters the void. I need a Nancy-Billy moment. That's true. That never happens. It doesn't. He goes right for her mom. He skips the natural progression of things and just, mom. I love when, like, going back to that, when he shows up at their house and Karen's like, oh, Nancy's not here. And he's like, oh, no, not my type. Oh. Not not your type? What, too young? <laughs> Far too young. <laughs> Will saying he wants us to find him is really reminding me of She Wants Me to Find Her, which is the season two score song that yes. plays when... Hopper finds Elle in the woods when Elle finds Terry in her mind void and when Elle finds Kali in her mind void. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And also, I need you to trust me. Yes. That I feel like that specific sentence gets said so many times in this it series. It does. It does. And Mike always being the one who's like, it's a trap. It's yes. a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. But like, also think about the um contradiction between like i need you to trust me and it's a trap like you're auto you're just like bypassing that very clear fact that it is mm -hmm. a trap yeah weird yeah. so i want to mention this now before we go deep into the next few scenes this process of l like traversing people's memories so is it voluntary on the part of whoever's mind she is traversing like, do they have to let her in? It does kind of seem like it. It does. Like, Mike makes the point that Terry wanted her to see, but Billy is different. But he did reveal himself to her sitting in his room on purpose, which we know was the trap component, we, th we suspect, right? Wait, I don't think it's voluntary because she goes into Vecna's mind. Or no, she goes into Max's. Well, see, that's where I kind of lose it because I said... Okay, so I make the point in the next couple scenes that I do think Billy did voluntarily do what he does here. But Max is the Max is the weird one because Terry definitely does show her what happened. Right. Rainbow, sunflower. Yeah. I personally am of the mind that Billy shows her. But Max, she does this involuntarily, but Max was also in in a Vecna vision already. So does that play a role at all? If the person is not conscious, like, can Elle do it without permission if the person is in a compromised, vulnerable position like Max was? Maybe. Whereas if the person is conscious to whatever extent she needs permission? 
Yeah, we don't. I feel like we don't get a lot of clarity on that process. Yeah, we'll talk about it more. Ooh, okay. In the void, Billy sits alone on his bed as Elle tentatively approaches. She reaches out to grab his hand and she asks if he can hear her. Suddenly, Billy makes direct eye contact with Elle and grabs her wrist aggressively. She struggles to free herself from his grip, but winds up falling backwards as memories of the last few days flood Elle's mind. She ends up landing in the surf on a beach somewhere. She begins to narrate what she's seeing to the group in Hop's cabin. She sees a woman, Billy's mom. She's pretty. Elle sees a young Billy. He's surfing in California. He asks his mom for 10 more minutes. She agrees, smiling, but tells him to watch out for rip currents. Elle makes her way up to the beach as a storm rages in the distance. I'm crying. Same. So to my previous point, Billy looks somber and pained here to me. Mm -hmm. Like he doesn't have that same weird vacant expression that we've been seeing on his face since he's been flayed. Like, yeah, it seems like he's not activated. Yeah. So to me, this means he's in there, like Billy. Right. And then she says she wants to see what happened, and his eyes kind of falter, like he's like fighting back tears before he makes eye contact. And then he grabs her, but he also lets go, which is what leads to the falling. So like to me, that was a granting of permission. Like a, he grabs her and then releases her, and then she falls back into his memories. I think Billy shows her on purpose. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, I think that he's like, you want to see? Here it is. And he shows her. And I think the letting go is is symbolic. Agreed. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. I have to look away from this scene so I don't jump scare myself. <laughs> because of him grabbing her? <laughs> yeah, it always scares me. Every time I have to look away. It's like when you go to the eye doctor and you're like, okay, I'm not going to jump when they put the air in my eye. And then you do every time. <laughs> <laughs> A universal experience. It is. So for this scene, on September 28th, 2018, paparazzi photos showed Millie writhing and screaming on a Malibu beach while filming this scene. Oh. The speculation went wild. And I'm going to share my screen real quick so you oh, can see this. Oh my God. One photo which I kind of think is funny. It's not that funny, but it sort of made me laugh. <laughs> oh, poor Millie. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. There it is. Okay. Oh, it's so cute. I know. So, yeah, people were like, what is she doing on a beach? Like, Did they why not see she... cameras? Well, no, no, no. Like, they, they were wondering, like, what is Eleven doing on a beach? Oh, like, what? okay. Like, right. why, why is she all alone? Like, why is she oh, screaming? Oh, <laughs> I get yeah. it. Okay, so Stranger Things speculation went wild. Mm -hmm. okay not like is millie bobby brown okay she just watched washed up on a shore in no. california <laughs> no 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 they were wondering is 11 okay i get it okay yeah we see this really intimate gesture on Elle's part of taking billy's hand and i want to point this out first because she does this despite him literally almost choking her to death in the sauna test which kind of is like a like i don't know to me it's like a forgiveness which is like yeah. kind of christ-like again we're going back to this but hmm. i also think it makes us realize that billy was starved for genuine intimacy like this is we he's a piece of shit yeah I, but the only person we see or the only people we see show him like true kindness and intimacy is l and then karen who is also starved for intimacy clearly yeah and then what we see in the next few scenes really i think makes us understand like this whole thing with his mom 
why he pursues Karen to begin with. I mean, we talked about, you know, hi, mommy. Hi, daddy. But like that is legitimately he is pursuing Karen because she is tender and motherly, but she's also beautiful. So it's like I, I, I get it. Yeah, it is very Freudian, but I do. I do get it. Yeah, same. I also noticed that in this memory we see of Billy's mom, they could have shown us anything, right? But they show her telling him to watch out for rip currents. Mm-hmm. And then the moment that Karen and Billy share is centered around swimming lessons. Oh, my gosh. I know. Wow. Yeah. Like, they could have shown us anything. Billy's mom doing anything as a gesture of, like, be safe, take care. And they show us that. And then Billy to Karen is like, do you need swimming lessons? I don't know. And he's mm. in the red bathing suit. He's still got yeah. the red swim trunks. Wow. I never considered that Billy is a lifeguard because he is well acquainted with the water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that never occurred to me. Yeah. Yep. Wow. This scene always gave me, and I know I talked about this specific scene in our last chapter episode, mm-hmm. but this scene is giving Harry watching Snape's memories in the pensive. Yes, very much. Like, yeah. I just talked about this, but it, it really reminds me of that. Like, mm-hmm. seeing the reasons he is why he is. Yeah, for sure. This yeah. is a, it's a tough scene. It is. And I had one more thing. Mm. Um, I noticed that there is a, an inordinate amount of seagulls in oh. this scene. Oh, and so I decided to look it up if there was any sort of symbolism surrounding seagulls. And I found this folklore that is attributed to sailors. Oh. And it says, a seagull at sea carries a sailor's soul, and the screech of the bird is the mournful cry of the dead man. I hate that. Like, it just makes me think of, like, Billy's soul is trapped. Well, also, like, two beaches, I feel like, are often used as this in-between space. Like, I think of Inception and how Leo's character washes up on a beach, I think, at the start and the end of Inception, and it's this implication that he's like incredibly deep in the dream world it is just like this like weird transient space this in-between space yeah i never realized that symbolism because now that you mention it the beach is used a lot in the show the good place Hmm. um if you've ever watched it Mm -hmm. it like there's a lot of like transitional scenes that exist on beaches and i never thought about that i think i think we're onto something yeah beautiful and sad it is At Murray's, Hopper calls the men from Hawkins' lab who seem to use the Philadelphia Public Library as a front. Hop warns them about the Russians and tells them to contact Dr. Sam Owens for backup, giving them Murray's number at the end, which horrifies Murray. (laughs) (laughs) Joyce points out that their children are in danger. The festival is like 10 minutes from the gate. She hops back on the phone with the Hawkins' lab people to yell at the man on the other end. Owens has to get to Hawkins and he's got to bring his men right now. Good day. She insists that the group return to Hawkins, so the four head out. Joyce asking the most relatable question in the entirety of human history. How can you just sit there being calm? <laughs> okay, right? Like, I, I'm, I, I don't want to generalize here, but to, to all of our, our men out there, okay? <laughs> this is a common issue. It is. <laughs> like... Uh, yeah, I think we just manifest our anxiety in different ways. True. Yeah, but I, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> All right, so we mentioned earlier that if you call Murray's phone number, you get a little surprise. Mm-hmm. So 
I thought I'd give it a call right now so you can all hear what it is. Oh, my God. So let's try. the residence of Murray Bauman. Mom, if this is you, please hang up and call me between the hours of 5 and 6 p.m. as previously discussed, okay? If this is Joyce, Joyce, thank you for calling. I've been trying to reach you. I, I have an update. It's about, well, it's, uh, it's probably best if we speak in person. It's not good or bad, but it's something. <clears throat> if this is anyone but my mother or Joyce, well, you, you think you're real clever getting my number, don't you? Well, here's some breaking news for you. You're not clever. You're not special. You are simply one of the many, many nimwits to call here, and the closest you will ever get to me is this pre-recorded message. So, at the beep, do me a favor. Hang up and never call here again. You are a parasite. It's funny that he says good day and that's how Joyce ends her and and good day. I know. It's so great. It is good. You are a parasite. <laughs> I love it. I kinda wanna just make it my own. There voice you go. Message. Wait, just, that's fantastic. After the beep, just hang up. Don't just leave hang me up. Don't leave me. Please, I don't read I don't listen to them anyway. Me either. I don't want to hear it. I love it. My favorite Joyce is back. Yes. She's yelling. She's yelling. And this is Antique Chariot's partner, Wheelbarrow. Wheelbarrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. How is Alexi sleeping through all of this? Again, how are you just sitting there being calm? Like, how are you asleep right now? He, He just does not understand the gravity of anything that's happening. So true. I think this is a really good example of how Alexi is a brilliant mind and they really kind of dumbed him down like making him like giggle at looney tunes which like not to say that you can't be a brilliant mind giggling at looney tunes but he does really come off as kind of simple-minded all of a sudden and we know that he is not yeah like kind of goofy yeah which is fine you can be two things at once yeah you're allowed i just want to point out the song playing here is one of the danny elfman songs and it's called the stairway chase Ooh. Okay. yeah Back in the Russian bunker, Steve and Robin are high as kites. The two giggle and call all the Russian men morons. Dr. Zakharov comes back with some fun tools, and the colonel continues his interrogation of Steve. To spare Steve from losing a fingernail, Robin confesses that they heard and translated the Russian code. She tells the colonel that people know the Russians are here, under Starcourt, and Steve gives them Dustin's full government name. (laughs) (laughs) Steve then proceeds to warn the Russians of Hopper, who is probably already calling the U.S. Cavalry. Shut up, Steven. Steven. (laughs) Dustin Henderson. He knows. He knows. (laughs) I I I, I thought this this is one of those things remember how we were talking about like is Hopper gonna face any consequences for just inhaling the upside down particles same thing with Dustin like is everybody okay and then nothing ever came of it yeah this reminds me of that like is Dustin like I was nervous I was like oh my god they just give the Russians Dustin's whole ass name like is are they gonna come for him mm-hmm. and he's he's fine he's totally fine yeah nothing ever happened nothing ever happened nothing ever came of it but I was nervous yeah same i'm just glad they're having a good time yeah they they seem 
this is is this when he says is this when he says scoops scoops <laughs> scoops Scoop, scoops ahoy <laughs> Yeah, his acting here is so good. It is. I just, I amazing. Sh- chef's kiss. I love how we see Steve overshare in this scene and Joyce overshare in the previous scene. We give she gives them Murray's. Not was it Joyce who overshared? Oh, both, maybe. I mean, Hop- honestly, Hopper yeah. and Joyce both overshared, but Hopper overshared and gave them the phone number, mm-hmm. and Steve overshared and gave them Dustin's whole ass name. <laughs> I know. Nobody cares anymore. I know. That's all. All of a sudden, an alarm begins to blare. The Russian soldiers and scientists converge in the hallway to find that several canisters of Prometheum, which is what we're calling it now, have been shattered and used to erode a hole in the floor, causing a distraction. Erica and Dustin burst into the room where Steve and Robin are being held. Dustin, wielding the electric cattle prod, uses it to stun Dr. Zakharov. He unties Steve and Robin and tells them to get ready to run. I, I think he's dead. Dr. Zarkov is dead. Yeah, I think he's dead. Yeah. I mean, sorry, like, you were going to remove my fingernail. I know. Me and Eli talked about, like, Dustin just kills a dude and then, like, never... murders someone? Like, never talks about it again, which is, like, like, you know, he had to do what he had to do. But still, I feel like, as, like, a 13-year-old who just killed a man, you might, like, reel from that a little bit. You really think he's dead? I do. He looks dead. (laughs) He's given that dead vibe. (laughs) His arm literally, like, bends in an, a very unnatural way. Like, oh. he does not look okay. Maybe he is dead. Yeah, I always thought that was the implication. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm. think of that. Poor Dustin. I'm going to look it up. Is Dr. Zarkov dead? I'm just looking him up on the Stranger Things wiki to see if he's listed as dead. Oh, if there's, like, a state? Yeah. Deceased. Wow. So Dustin yeah, he... killed somebody? Yeah, Dustin killed a man. He was electrocuted to death by Dustin Henderson. Wow. Yeah. Good job, Dustin. But also, are you okay? GG's. <laughs> <laughs> the song that's playing in this scene is not released for some bizarre reason, but it is on YouTube with the soundtrack dealer, and they called it Interrogation. Okay. It is so good. It should be released. Nice. Also, like... For some reason, watching it this time around was like, why didn't Dustin and Erica just, like, leave? Why did they come back for Steve and Robin? But I guess they were, like, our best chance of escaping is with them, or they just didn't want to abandon them. I'm surprised they came back. That's where I'm going with that. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe they were like, we don't have the time to get out of here and get people to come in. Come in. They're going to kill them. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Yeah. Okay. Back in the storm in Elle's mind void, she sees memories of Neil berating Billy. Neil insults his son as a young Billy runs off, moving further into the storm. Elle follows, but not before giving Neil a very mean look. (laughs) She sees sees Neil abusing his wife. He calls her a whore, and Billy steps between his parents, attempting to defend his mother. But Neil ends up punching her. A moment later, Billy cries on the phone to his mom, begging her to please come home. We then see a teenage Billy presumably beating up a classmate at school. Elle continues to watch as Billy mimics his father's insults and behavior. As the storm continues to rage, Elle sees a memory of Neil introducing Billy to Max, which then fades into the night. He was taken by the Mind Flayer. Elle conveys to the group that she thinks she found the source, Brimborn Steelworks. Jonathan grabs a phone book to find the address, (laughs) and Mike urges Elle to get out of her mind void stat. 
So this whole, I think it's right before the memories begin, we see this shot of Elle standing on the beach with the storm raging behind her. And then we have the three colors from left to right, which is blue in the sky, the yellow of her shirt and the red of the storm. And there is a little bit of like a blue meeting yellow going on here with mm. the, with her shirt. In, and In the West? In, in California? the West, yep. Yeah. So I just, I thought that was a really good visual. And again, we have some colors. This reminds me a lot of Vecna's trauma Rolodex. Mm, yes. Very true. Oh my God. Yes. Like when he's yeah. like, I don't even know how to articulate, but he's like going through his role and he's like, there's all the different looks into people's situations that they're dealing with. Uh-huh. That, yeah. It is visually like that with like the smoke. And the storm. And the storm. Red. That's red. Yeah. I wonder why Billy's mom didn't take him with her. I know. I was wondering that too. Like, it seems like she died, but she didn't. She left. Yeah, she just left without him. That is so tragic. He was abandoned. I know. And not only abandoned, but abandoned to be raised by this monster. Yeah, it, it is. It's like, it's weird. And then you kind of see how all of Billy's like anger and rage was just pent up and then released as violence like he he didn't know what to do with those emotions and again it doesn't excuse anything but you just really get a lot of context here yeah it just helps us understand better where it's coming from and i think too it helps us understand and even like physically illustrate billy's feelings towards max because the more traumatic the memory the deeper into the storm it goes and pretty much the last thing we see before him getting taken by the Mind Flayer is him being introduced to Max, which it feels like it's like a breaking point for him, you know? Ooh, I didn't think about that. I thought of them chronologically. Yeah, that, I mean, that's probably accurate, but I don't but know. But the it's trauma like, would grow as time passed, so it still right. works. Yeah, and it's like, and and seeing the events in order helps us understand that too, because like, he's pissed at his mom for going off and being you know abandoning him essentially with neil and then neil just moves on like none of it ever happened and he's found a new woman to abuse and you know billy just has to accept it yeah and i think we also kind of see that billy takes his anger out on max he doesn't direct it at neil we talked about that because he can't and he doesn't direct it at susan who is the replacement here max Mm -hmm. is not the mother replacement but Billy picks the most vulnerable and takes his anger out on his little sister. And I feel like also in his mind, he's like, I'm sure Susan is receiving enough sure. from Neil. Maybe. I don't know. I also like that you pointed out that Max is the memory of Max is pre it, it preempts the visual of Brimborn Steelworks and then the descent like into being flayed because I think it kind of places Max in this position of being center to this whole idea of trauma. And then she is the focal point of season four, as far as trauma is concerned. Mm. Like we already get Max here now and she's like in the middle of this storm. And then in season four, she quite literally is in the middle of the storm as well. Yes. I just have a question before we move on. And I don't know if you saw what I sent you the other yesterday. I'm at work. You were probably gone already. All of a sudden, it looks like Millie has French tips. Oh, no, I did see that. What is that about? 
I don't know. Her nails look really good. Like, I even went back to the scene where she was in her mind void using all the tissues because I know you got a shot of her hand in that scene and she did not have her nails done. And then all of a sudden she's got like a beautiful manicure. Well, I was, it's funny too, because like once I was looking at those paparazzi photos, I was like, it's kind of funny to think about the fact that like she's filming this scene in the cabin and like narrating what she's seeing in there, but like it's just interspersed film that right. they're using like, like yeah. you know it's not actually happening simultaneously she's just narrating something she's going to film later right so yeah i'm imagining those were two like pretty far apart shots. yes yeah 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 very true l leaves her void to find the cabin empty she calls for mike as usual and the lights begin to flicker also as usual all of a sudden billy steps out of her room clearly under the influence of the mind flare he tells her that she shouldn't have come looking for him because now I can see you. Now we can all see you. The scariest song in the entire series begins to play as we see sweaty hordes of flayed people activate amid the 4th of July celebrations. Billy tells Elle that she let him in and now she must let them stay. She begins to cry as Billy goes on. Don't you see? All this time we've been building it. I don't know why he says it like that. We've been building it. (laughs) for you the flayed converge on brimborn steelworks and billy tells l that they're going to end her and her friends and everyone l screams using her powers to throw billy before abruptly coming out of her mind void for real this time nose bloodied she breaks down crying in mike's arms so this is a lot to unpack (laughs) so much um i think this is one of the most unsettling scenes in this entire show it is it is and I just want to mention, and I'm, you probably agree, the dread that I remember feeling the first time we watch Elle come out of her mind void into the empty room. Oh, God. Yeah. It just feels like she's trapped. Like, she, it, it, again, it feels like Inception when they go deeper and deeper into the dream and you, don't, you never know when they've come one layer up out of the dream. Mm-hmm. And this feels like that. Like, you think Elle and Elle thinks she's coming out of her mind void, but you only find out that she's almost, like, stepped back a layer. Yeah. Stepped yeah. forward a layer. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I do. I do. And all of this is just so henry yeah like knowing what we know now this whole scheme like we know that this whole scheme was just to steal l's power so that he could acquire the power to open gates and uh it all makes sense they weren't doing it particularly to harm her as we now know i mean that would have been a great perk i think for henry yeah but they really wanted her power and so i'm like i i understand now the whole building it for you comment yeah see i couldn't tell like first of all it's like chilling so like you had and i like how you kind of called out like i don't know why he says it like that like why does he building it like he's very like enunciates each syllable and he lingers on certain consonants like you let us in like he like Mm -hmm. keeps the he rolls out the n and now you are like he's very i don't know it's just so good but i was thinking like what the implication is here so you think the implication or Maybe the general consensus at this point is that the implication is that they're build building it. Now, what do you think it is that they're building? The monster. So you think they're building the monster? Yeah. Okay. I think I agree with that. But I also thought, like, what does he say? We, we need you to build, to build, build an army, build what you right. see, an army. So was the building referring to the flayed, which has been designed to, d- to destroy L? Right. 
Is that what we're doing? Yeah, like maybe he meant at first, like, okay, step one, I need you to build an army. Yeah. Then And then he builds it. You'll know what to do. Right. And I guess, like, the other way, I mean, I don't think it's meant to be interpreted that Henry built the Upside Down for Elle. No. No, right? The, it's, the implication is that it was built to destroy her. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think part of what we're hearing is just Billy, like, particularly when he says all that work and all that pain. Like, he's the one who put the work into yeah. building this army, and he's also the one who is in great amounts of pain as somebody who's been more or less forced to flay people. Right. So, so I do think we we do get some of Billy in this, too. That for sure. and the fact that there is, like, a single tear rolling down his cheek as he's saying all of this yeah is like so like i feel like that's kind of how l knew mm-hmm. he was still in there mm-hmm. we also see as this is all unfolding the two like the townsfolk who have been flayed we see heather and her mother but we also see two other men and well one man and a child mm-hmm. and you hear their loved ones like say uh hey where are you going and I just wanted to point out that their names are very biblical. It's Adam and David. Oh. I know. That cannot have been a coincidence. I don't think so. Very biblical name choices. Yes. Very. The flayed continue to descend into the basement of Brimborn Steelworks. As they approach the skin spider, they melt down into flesh and add themselves into its growing body. I hate that sentence. <sighs> E pluribus unum. <gasps> she did it. I was wondering why she was taking a deep breath. <laughs> I had to was, speak Latin. That was beautiful. Wow. Thank you. We watch the skin spider continue to grow in size with each new flayed it absorbs. Ew. Finally, it assumes its final form, bursts out of the basement, and roars. So let's talk about the music piece that is playing throughout this ending scene because it's pretty significant. And Amanda actually mentioned it earlier. So this haunting opera piece that we hear during this is from an opera composed by Philip Glass. There he is. Yeah. And it is called Satyagraha. And it was composed in 1979. Wow. So the year of the massacre. Wow. Yeah. And Satyagraha is a Sanskrit word that means clinging to truth. And a quick quote from our beloved Britannica's. Satyagraha is a concept introduced in the early 20th century by Mahatma Gandhi to designate determined but nonviolent resistance to evil. Oh. Yeah. And the composition we hear at this part is from Act 2, Scene 1 of Glass's opera, which loosely depicts Gandhi's life as he was developing this philosophy and attempting to apply it in various like political conflicts and contexts. Yeah, and as I think I think Amanda said, we hear more Philip Glass in season four in the massacre at Hawkins Lab throughout Henry's monologue to Elle. And I'm not going to talk about those now because <laughs> we will get there. But it is certainly interesting how we get these compositions by Glass at very similar moments. We do. We certainly do. So we get Billy telling Elle... You know, more or less somebody's thoughts. I mean, who's to say? It could be Vecna, maybe. And then in season four with the other glass compositions, we get Henry telling Elle his thoughts as well. 
and like one other thing I had to mention that does also feed into this theory that this is Vecna speaking. Hello, Something... this is Vecna speaking. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, you um, reached the voicemail box of Vecna. <laughs> sorry i just i feel like they made it a point to show us that there are children involved and we know that henry is not opposed to killing children Ooh, interesting okay yeah i mean there have been children involved since day one here exactly yeah like the flare had the flare the flare (laughs) (laughs) we're on a first name basis actually last name that's that his would nickname. be that would be mind <laughs> yes mind <laughs> mr mind uh no i love that point that's great because children are like one of those it's like i don't touch that yeah but but vecna never hesitated nor did the demogorgon nor did the mind flare right they so, don't discriminate yeah all right you ready to get into our mvp bitch okay sure yeah sure okay i have l l is my mvp because no one asked her to do this she is sacrificing herself for this cause she is a rock star she's a superhero and i think we see her empathy really clearly for billy when he's showing her his memories even just the way she grimaces at neil like you can just watch her empathize with him because not only they can empathize on 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 like a I was also abused, you know, yeah. like they have this, this common thread between them and she's just got a beautiful soul and Elle is my MVP for this chapter. How about you? Same. I said L also. She's just so brave and honestly just like on another level in this yeah. episode of, of bravery and putting herself in harm's way to protect the greater good. Mm-mm. She is a superhero. She, t- she just, she really is. She is. How about LVP? Losers? What losers? I don't know. I <laughs> no one to me no one sucked. I'm I'm just gonna say Neil because he's not really here, but he's an asshole. And right. I don't know. Nobody really did anything. I don't want to give it to Jonathan for being useless because that wouldn't be fair. He looked up Brimborn Steelworks in the phone book. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. I think I have to just say Neil because he's just an absolute piece of shit. I know I kind of struggled with this one too and on the useless front I, I feel really bad but I put Will. Oh. <laughs> he, he had like three lines in the whole episode. He was just kind of there. Yeah. And he said he's here. Yeah, he's here. And he's like here. yeah, that's really the only like major contribution we get from Will in this episode. So it's not that he like sucked or anything. He just kind of contributed the least. Yeah. Okay. The buyers are in the hot seat this week. Yeah, but mostly just for uselessness. But yeah, they haven't done anything wrong. They're just not yeah. contributing at all. Right. And it's their fucking show. Like, come on, know, guys. Right? Step up to the plate. Be leaders. Like, hello? The first this... episode is named after you, Will. <laughs> this is your show, Will. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And let's get into our final and favorite segment, Mall Rat Moments. That's totally against the rules. I make my own rules. So... This story, as you can tell, we're running out of content. We are truly running out. (laughs) Because as it turns out, we're pretty boring. Every week. I know. So our mall rat moment for this week is not so much like mall ratty behavior, um, but it is an example of us being kind of silly and uh, someone intervening. So 
a few episodes ago, or maybe in our Sins episode, actually, I think we talked about our philosophy teacher in high school, <laughs> Mr. I. This man had a big impact. We bought him Uggs. We did buy him Uggs. Oh my gosh. Okay, side story, actually, about Mr. I, before we get into it, just to lay down the groundwork about this man. He assigned our philosophy class a research paper. And instead of doing that, the entire class got together in like a group chat, basically, and decided that we were not going to write research papers. We were going to write letters about how he impacted our lives. I forgot about that. We legitimately made an executive decision. We're like, fuck your research paper. We literally were like, no, we're not doing that. And so we all wrote him letters about what an awesome teacher he was, because this was like close to the end of the year, I think. And uh, we wrote him letters about what a great teacher he was and what a great influence he was. And we all pulled our money and bought him a pair of Ugg slippers because he, <laughs> he, he had said he wanted them. What did we each give like $2? I know, right? Where were we getting this money? <laughs> um, which, by the way, I'm wearing a pair of Ugg slippers right now and they're so really cozy. Great. I know, they're amazing. So anyway, for our mall right study story. hall is sponsored by Uggs. I wish. So anyway, this one time during senior year in our philosophy class, we were doing a major group project that took months and months, which ended up being a really cool play that we all wrote as a class and performed, and it was awesome. And we were working on this group project, and for some stupid reason, Marina and I were arguing over who knows what. A boy. Probably. (laughs) So dumb. And so we were like, not not talking, but definitely being weird and cold and like making the group thing awkward <laughs> like mike and l yes cold as ice cold as ice <laughs> um yeah so in the middle of the class our teacher mr i pulled us both out into the hallway and was just like what what are you two doing <laughs> like you guys are best friends like what are you doing whatever you're fighting about is probably stupid and also like you got to be better team players get it together and we were like Okay. (laughs) But we clearly did not keep our shit together because then we graduated and like didn't speak for an actual year. Yeah. Almost. Not quite a whole year, but almost. I know. know, Which is like a really funny, I don't know, that we've never really mentioned that on on here for, I mean, it's never come up. But like, yeah, me and Marina had like a major falling out and now we're like best friends more than we ever were, I think. I think it was probably like we were really 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 steeped in each other and then we Mm -hmm. both had an excuse to take a break from each other and we were like let's do that and we did that's like how i look at it as an adult right and and i think we were both like growing in different directions for Mm -hmm. for a little tiny moment for like seven months of 20 years (laughs) yes and then and then we just like needed a break and then we matured a little bit and we're like oh okay yeah Mm -hmm. that was dumb (laughs) yeah yeah so there's there's hope out there people if you know you have issues with your friends it can come around so So true keep the faith and if your Uh, philosophy teacher tells you to get your shit together get your shit together he was very right he was mr i you'll be happy to know that we have a podcast and matching tattoos now so wow (laughs) that's that's where it's peak we did get our shit together eventually That's a good one. I like that story. Right? That was a good mall rat moment. It had nothing to do with the episode, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I have shout outs. Just kidding. We have shout outs. <laughs> we have shout outs. So I'm going to shout out Vicky on Instagram. We are glad you're liking all the extra content. Also, your collages are amazing. 
we went onto your page and I was just like, wow, okay. And also, thank you for sharing the Blue Meets Yellow in the West Mike Will theory. We really try to stick with canonical ships for this podcast. That is not because we oppose other ships. It's just we want to be sticking to canon as much as possible. Um, but that is a really beautiful theory. And we both actually thought it was uh, sound, pretty sound, yeah. actually. Yeah. Lizzie, you've been showing your support for a while. We're very appreciative. And then, as always, I am so sorry if I'm butchering your name, but Cassie or Casey on Instagram, it is spelled K-A-S-S-E-A. We also love that you're loving all of the extras. And for those of you who are loving the extras, I just wanted to say we just plotted out another year's worth of content <laughs> somehow, but here we are. And then before we wrap up, I'm going to do a quick rattle off of other names that I see all the time. Ready? Ready. Michelle, Addie, Aurora, Daniel, Amanda's brother-in-law, Dan, Lacey, a.k.a. Hearts for Dire, Lucas, Gabrielle, Jackie, and Bryson. That's, That's my rattle list. off of names. <laughs> and of Thank course, you. always scout at DJB. Yes, DJB. They're like just the best. So They really are. Thank you. So good. That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode, which uh, might, again, clock in as one of our longest. So thank you so much for listening. All right. And uh, till next time, everybody. Stay strange. Stay strange. To keep in touch and stay informed about upcoming Starcourt Study Hall episodes, follow us on Instagram at Starcourt Study Hall. Mm-hmm.